So one thing that seems to be constant in fitness that needs to change is this uh, worship of intensity model where where you, you go to the gym and you need to beat the crap out of yourself. You need to be really sweaty and super sore and punish yourself because you're fat. Or, you know, when you look at the problems that happen to humans in modern societies as we age, a lot of it revolves around loss of balance, loss of strength, bone loss, hormone imbalances. All those things are directly affected in a positive way by weight training, more so than any other form of exercise. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind, Empowerment podcast. I'm your host, Seamland, and our guest today is Sal Stefano. Sal is one of the hosts of the podcast, Mind Pump that talks about raw truths of building muscle and refutes a lot of the misconceptions of the fitness industry. Sal, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's uh, great to have you. And I really, your podcast is one of, the, one of my go-to sources for getting some uh, fitness advice. And it's really like not only just the science, but also like really entertaining. So <laughs> I'm glad to have oh, you on. Oh, yeah. Podcast. Really appreciate that. Yeah, we're actually, I'm in the, uh, the podcast studio right now. That's why I got my my mic and headphones uh, here, but yeah, our, our, uh, we try to entertain as well as educate because we find yeah. that we can reach more people that way if we make it not so boring. Yeah, it is, it is like a critical point, so to say, that you can tell people to do, like you have to eat fewer calories, you have to exercise and whatever not, <laughs> but if the person isn't able to do it, then it's not going to be, you know, even uh, important, so to say, it's not going to be worth it. Oh, that's, that's an extremely important point. Uh, that's something that we, you learn. If you train people for, you know, I trained people for 20 years. Mm. And one of the most important lessons that I learned, which took me probably five to 10 years just to really understand, is that uh, what I was saying was important, but how I said it was probably more important. If I, and if yeah. I was able to communicate it effectively, uh, and, by, and communicating effectively means that somebody's actually going to adopt it in a, in a real way. Um, then, then that was success. So rather than giving people tons of great information that I thought sounded cool and that, you know, I thought was important and then they'd leave and never implement it. Uh, I started focusing on things that, you know, depending on the individual things that I thought I could get them to actually implement and then communicate it in a way where it would get them to, uh, to do it, to try it out and to actually do it and, and change their, their lives in fundamental ways. And I found far more success that way. And so you know, with our podcast, one of the reasons why we try to be entertaining is, you know, if we just talk about information all the time, then I'll be in an echo chamber and I'll have a lot of yeah. people like you listening, which is great, you know, but you're very into fitness. You, you love learning that kind of stuff and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but we also want to reach the average person who uh, would turn it off after 10 minutes if it was just pure information, you know, so we have to get them enthralled a little bit in, in different ways slip in that information and entertain them every once in a while and it seems to be effective so yeah is i like to think of it you have to kind of gateway drug people into learning the <laughs> science with some uh, fun and entertainment <laughs> so <laughs> absolutely that, that's that a good i'm going to use that i'm going to use that yeah. uh, but can you give a like a backstory of how did you did you get into fitness and how did you end up with a mind pump yeah so i started uh, i mean I, personally i started exercising pretty consistently and uh, seriously at a very young age. I was 14 years old and, you know, I wanted to build muscle. I was a skinny kid and uh, I, right away I fell in love with it. Fell in love with the, the training, fell in love with the, the science behind it. I bought 
yeah, anatomy books and muscle building books. I, I bought nutrition books. Um, I bought, uh, I mean, you name it, um, chemistry books to try and learn how to, you know, really train my body and get my body to react. So that's when I first started uh, personally, but professionally uh, was at the age of uh, 18. I got my first job as a personal trainer uh, at one of the large uh, gyms in my area, the 24 hour fitness. And very, very quickly became uh, quite successful as a personal trainer. Within four months, I was managing the fitness department. Um, and um, from there, I started managing gyms and grand opening health clubs and started training trainers and training uh, managers on how to be successful as you know, gym managers, uh, how to become successful as personal trainers. And when you train other people on how to be successful in the, in the field, there's a, you start to learn things a little bit differently like, okay you know, we can get all these new members in the door, but how are we keeping these members? Um, because gyms have such a huge uh, drop-off rate. After about six months, people tend to stop working out. In fact, most gyms uh, are, or gym business models are, are designed around that, right? They, they sell a very cheap membership fee and they, they expect you to not come into the gym. Um, in fact, if everybody showed up, they'd have to shut their doors. There'd be too many people. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I, I focused on these things for, for a long time. How do I get people to keep working out? Why is it that, you know, all, what I knew about fitness um, and, you know, like someone like you, what you know about fitness and, and eating right, I mean, it's one of the, the, one of the most transformative, impactful things you can do. It really is. It's very black and white. If you, if you do it properly and you do it consistently, it will positively impact your entire life, everything. Uh, you're just a better human being. Uh, you feel better. Uh, you, you view things differently. You know, your body's a filter that you know you're going to receive information and give information and if you're healthy well you're more likely to be better at work better at school uh you're more likely to be happy uh more likely to handle stress better i mean all those different things um but so i thought to myself gosh why don't more people do this consistently and it's just the way we're selling it the way we're, we're communicating it and the way people are, are are starting so i really focused heavily on on that um then later on i owned my own wellness facility which uh was much smaller uh, with mainly professionals working in there. So I had personal trainers, I had massage therapists, nutritionists, acupuncturists. Um, and then we really catered there to a much higher level of service. So it was a higher ticket price, but the level of service was much higher. So then I did that for about 10 years. Um, and it, within that period, um, I met Doug, who's our producer. You were talking to him earlier. He's actually one of my, one of my clients. And we started working out together. He was a lifelong fitness enthusiast as well. And he was really blown away by the kind of results he got with the way I trained him and how um, a lot of the information that he thought was true, uh, you know, when it came to fat burning and muscle building was actually false. Um, and he approached me at some point, I think probably after a few months of training. And he says, you know, if you ever want to market or sell, you know, how you talk about these things and some of these concepts, let me know because I have a little bit of experience uh, with internet marketing. And so Doug and I came together and created uh, MAPS Anabolic, which is the first fitness program that, that we ended up you know, selling through Mind Pump later on. So we created that program and uh, we, had, you know, we, we wanted to come up with ways to reach a large audience. And one of the, way, one of the ideas was to have a podcast. Um, and at that time, I got in contact with Adam Schaefer, who's one of my, my co-hosts now. Um, and I'd known him for, for, you know, through mutual friends mm -hmm. and, um, he brought Justin on board and we all met for the first time and we had a four hour conversation. 
the, the three of us had been trainers for 15 to 20 years. Um, you know, at some point you have, if you have enough, if you have a bunch of truth seekers working long and hard enough over time, they all come to the same conclusion. And so that's what ended up happening. You got a bunch of guys who've been doing this for decades. We all sat in the room and just like, oh yeah, you know, this is what should happen. And everybody agrees. And this is terrible. And we all agree. And it was a great conversation. And that's how Mind Pump was born. And, and that was it. We started from there. Nice. Yeah, yeah. you've seen, you, you practically seen a lot of changes in the fitness industry th- throughout the entire journey. So uh, maybe what have been the biggest shifts in the way people exercise as well as like their, you know, conceptions about uh, fitness? Well, there's a lot of, uh, there's some good shifts and then there's a lot of cycles. You know, you see a lot of cycles. So one thing that seems to be constant in fitness that needs to change is this uh, worship of intensity model where you, you go to the gym and you need to beat the crap out of yourself. You need to be really sweaty and super sore and punish yourself because you're fat or whatever. Um, and that model, it, it sells because it seems, uh, it's sexy. For example, like, would you watch, a, imagine watching a fitness show on TV where, you know, a, a really obese person hires a trainer and the trainer does everything right. They do correctional exercise first. They start real slow with nutrition changes. They're only working out two days a week and boring. Nobody's going to want to watch that TV show. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So instead, what do you see, right? They, 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 they handcuff them to the treadmill and they beat them up and they starve <laughs> them and they do crazy stuff and they have inspirational speeches and the people throw up because they work out so hard. So that's the, the message that continues to get sold and it's the wrong message. Really, that's not the way to, first off, it doesn't get your results uh, any better, mm. um, contrary to popular belief. And second, it's a terrible long-term approach. It's 100% you're going to fail. Uh, you're not, it's not going to work for you. You're going to either damage your body you're going to find that you're going to develop a terrible relationship with exercise. You can only punish yourself for so long. At some point, you're going to get sick of punishing yourself. And then you're going to say, screw this. I'm just going to go live my life and enjoy myself. And then, you know, start eating whatever you want and not exercising. So that right there is, is a constant and you see cycles of that and that needs to change. But some positive improvements that I've seen. Um, well, okay. So when I first started working in gyms, they were pretty segmented. So the first one that I became a personal trainer at, you had uh, a women's area um, and you had an uh, open area. Um, and the women's area had the same machines as the open area that just had pink upholstery on them. That's all it was. Um, there were no free weights in that area. And it was a lot of cardio. Um, and so women really did not like to or want to lift weights because at that time, 20 years ago, and to some extent still true today, the image of weights, you know, what, what, do you, what they would think about would be like Arnold Schwarzenegger yeah, exactly. or just huge bodybuilders uh, or female bodybuilders who took steroids. So they looked very masculine, looked like me with, a, with long hair. And so women were just like, I don't want to lift weights because I don't want to, I'm not trying to look like a man. I just want to look, you know, toned and whatever. And by the way, toned is a, is a, a term invented by the fitness industry to sell memberships to women. Your, your muscles don't tone. They, they build or they shrink. That's it. There's, no, there's, no, there's nothing in between. They build or they shrink. Um, but so women were afraid to lift weights. And if they did, it was very, very light and it was lots and lots and lots of reps. Today now, you're starting to see more and more women understand that resistance training is one of the best forms of exercise, especially if you want to sculpt and shape your body. And if you want to speed up your metabolism, uh, which having a faster metabolism today in modern life is, is very beneficial. It allows you to eat more food. 
um, and not gain body fat or, or have the negative effects of, of too much food, which is great in modern times because food is everywhere and there's lots of tasty food everywhere. Also, faster metabolism helps offset the lack of activity that we have all day long because regular life now doesn't involve lots of uh, activity. I mean, we, we wake up and we'll eat breakfast and then we'll get in the car, drive to work, we'll sit down all day, come home, eat dinner and sit down, watch TV and then go to bed. So we're just not active. So you want to have a faster metabolism that's always, it's going to burn more calories on its own without you having to move. And resistance training does that uh, very effectively. And then of course, the, the sculpting effects of resistance training. Like if you want to change your shape, uh, then you want to use weights because it's like a sculptor. You can add muscle here or there and give yourself the body that you, you, know, you want to, or the body that you want it to look like. Um, and resistance training is great for that. So now you're starting to see more women lift weights, more than ever before. Uh, another big shift was the adoption of uh, some of the most effective weight training exercises uh, ever, like uh, deadlifts and squats and overhead presses. Those were not that popular uh, 20, 15, maybe even 10 years ago. Um, I, you know, when I would manage these big gyms, and when I say big, I mean like, you know, 40, 50,000 square foot facilities, basketball courts and swimming pools and all that stuff. And they'd have these huge uh, fitness areas with, with weights and, and, and stuff like that. And there'd be one squat rack, literally. And the squat rack would be dusty. Nobody would do a barbell squat. Everybody was doing leg extensions and machines and stuff like that. Uh, even fewer people would deadlift. In fact, if, when I would deadlift in the gym, inevitably a member would come up to me and tell me, oh, you know, be careful. You're going to hurt your back. You shouldn't lift that way or whatever. Um, and, and that's just because, uh, you know, the, the sport that really influenced how people lifted weights the most was bodybuilding. And at that time, you know, bodybuilders like to use a lot of machines and stuff like that. Of course, bodybuilders tend to take anabolic steroids. And mm. what they don't tell you is when they first started their careers of lifting, they did lots of squats and lots of deadlifts. And then later on, just because they're strong and, and big, they're, they're trying to minimize injury and they're doing all these machines and stuff. But they're just not nearly as effective. Like if I take a person and I want to really get their body to respond, I mean, deadlifts, barbell squats, and presses are by far some of the best exercises you could do, uh, by far. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's like night and day. You have someone barbell squatting properly versus somebody using a leg extension or a, a leg sled, the squatter is just going to get better results much faster. Um, so nobody was doing those. Th Plus, they're complex, right? They're, they require a lot more skill and, and technique. So nobody was doing those. Um, and then right around 10 years ago, CrossFit entered into the fitness industry and really became massive. And, you know, I have my own issues with the CrossFit programming. In fact, I wrote a blog on it, uh, on my opinion on it. And some of the stuff that they do is, is silly. But some of the stuff that they do was very positive. Like, they made barbell exercises popular and cool. And so now, when I go to a gym, I mean, the Gold's Gym that's by where I live in San Jose now has, I think, something like eight cages, you know, squat racks, yeah. which is, they never, they never had that before because everybody now is, is squatting and deadlifting. So that's been a really, really good trend that, uh, I've, I'm, you know, I've been happy about. Yeah. Um, yeah. You also see these interesting trends with nutrition in our space. Like it was low fat for a long time. Then it was low carb for a long time. Now you're seeing paleo and keto, you know, kind of make their way in. And so I, I find that fascinating and interesting as well, because people tend to jump from one trend yeah. to the next uh, and not realize that there's a, a, there's a lot of, there's some truth in a little, in, in all of those things. 
and uh, everybody's body ha- tends to have a fingerprint in terms of it's like a fingerprint it tends to be unique and so what may work for you uh, may not work for the next person and what may work for you today may not work for you uh, tomorrow um, but so I think we'll start to see a shift into more of the individualized approach towards nutrition uh, in the future yeah yeah it is so tr- it's true that you know the pendulum tends to tends to swing from one extreme to the other <laughs> whether that be doing a bunch of cardio or doing only exclusive resistance training and such and the answer is tends to always be somewhere in the middle what i th- yeah. what i like what i like to think is that you know uh, part of the reason why people may have like this negative association with resistance training and weights is that uh, in the 70s and 80s the only people who lifted weights were the bodybuilders and uh, people were like, okay, I don't want to look like that. <laughs> like, I do want to be healthy, but I don't want to be like that too bulky and such. But, you know, there's the thing that uh, the regular person isn't going to get that big unless they're taking like anabolic steroids and such. So there is always like this difference between lifting for the sake of, you know, pure bodybuilding or, and, you know, lifting for the sake of uh, like a faster metabolism, more muscle mass, improved longevity and a greater lifespan. So now, nowadays we see that, uh, you know, the other applications or the, uh, the other benefits of resistance training, such as, you know, lifting for health and longevity, they do become more popular thanks to these other, you know, functional fitness type of uh, training like CrossFit and such. Absolutely. It's uh, okay. So there's two things, two points that I want to cover with that. Uh, first off, when you see a bodybuilder, you are looking at a, a perfect a perfect mix of, uh, of, of particular variables and factors. Okay. One factor is these are genetically gifted individuals in in terms of muscle building and when i say genetically gifted i mean very very rare like these are people that without even lifting weights would be more muscular than most people who lift weights okay if you look at pictures of these are popular bodybuilders uh, like uh, jay cutler when he was 18 or ronnie coleman when he was 18 or 16 i mean i couldn't look like these guys if i took steroids and worked out. So there's that. There's that genetic anomaly. It's like it's like it's like a seven foot ba- basketball player. It's like saying, oh, if I play basketball, I'm going to be seven feet tall. Hmm. No, I mean, how often do you see a seven foot person in real life? Almost yeah, never. I've never seen someone in real life except for when I've gone to NBA games. So there's that. Then the second thing is the anabolic steroids. They do take high doses of anabolic hormones, um, which do force their bodies to put on more muscle. And then the other factor is their entire lives for years is dedicated to one pursuit, building muscle. So everything they do, all the food that they eat, all the training that they do, like everything that they do is geared to maximizing their insane God-given genetics and maximizing these high doses of anabolic hormones. If you took the average person and you train them just like the bodybuilder and even put them on anabolic steroids, they would never look like those guys because they don't have the genetic either. If you took the average person and you trained them like a bodybuilder and had them eat like a bodybuilder, but they didn't take steroids and they didn't have those genetics, they would just look amazing. Right. Um, and I'm talking about men and women. I, I mean, it's not easy. But you're not gonna, and here's the other thing. Let's say you are one of those people that has crazy muscle building genetics. It still doesn't happen overnight. So you know, when I've talked to female clients who've had that concern, you know, what I always tell them is, look, you're not going to wake up tomorrow looking like a bodybuilder, so don't worry about that. If at some point you look in the mirror and you say to yourself, this is as fit as I want to look, we got a great problem. Now all we've got to do is kind of scale back and just maintain. But until we get to that point, let's train in the most uh, effective way uh, possible. You were also mentioning longevity when it comes to uh, resistance training. 
you know, when you look at the problems that happen to humans in modern societies as we age, a lot of it revolves around loss of balance, um, loss of strength, bone loss, hormone imbalances. All those things are directly affected in a positive way by weight training, more so than any other form of exercise, any other form of exercise. And in fact, they're starting to find now that one of the easiest black and white predictors of all-cause mortality is a very simple grip test. They're actually doing studies now where they'll have people come in and they'll, they'll, they'll squeeze uh, a grip tester that measures grip strength um, and they'll be able to predict more accurately than almost any other single factor whether or not the person is going to live longer or live shorter. So it, you know, it's very, muscle is very protective. It's, um, it's like a great insurance policy. Exactly. It g- gives you better insulin uh, sensitivity because muscle is a, it sucks up carbohydrates. Uh, so it makes you sensitive to insulin. So it helps fight things like diabetes and Alzheimer's, which some scientists will call type three diabetes. Uh, your, you know, balance and strength uh, are very important for independence. When you look at a 75-year-old who was never active and didn't exercise versus a 75-year-old who's always been fit and exercise. The difference between the two is, I mean, it's, it's light years. You know, mm-hmm. you have one person who's probably requires a level of assistance, maybe needs someone to help them out throughout the day, might even need to live uh, in, a, in a community where there's nurses and, and people there to help them do things. And then you have someone who's the, the, fit, per, the fit 75-year-old who's completely independent, does everything on their own, has no problems, um, and just, you know, feels amazing. So that chasm just becomes massive as you get older. And weight training is uh, just, you know, you want to do all forms of exercise, but everybody definitely should be lifting weights for sure, especially if you're older. Yeah, it is so true that I totally agree. And uh, one of the reasons why, for instance, old people do develop these sorts of diseases is that they become sedentary. They're not like not, not moving around and that, mm-hmm. you know, makes them lose muscle that lowers their insulin sensitivity. And it's like a domino effect of not, not, not stimulating the muscles and uh, therefore not having the stimulus for muscle growth either. And also like the corresponding effect of becoming more anabolic resistant as you get older, like loss of growth hormone, loss of testosterone, everything is like <laughs> a downward cascading effect that you want to avoid by simply... It's also, yeah. it's also a, a degeneration of the, mind, of the yeah. mind. So when you're moving and exercising, there's a feedback mechanism, right? When you're, when you're, when you're exercising, your brain is receiving or moving, right? Your, your brain is receiving signals from your body and it's like the rest of your body. If your body doesn't need it, it'll prune it. So if you're not moving, let's say you were stuck in a wheelchair and you weren't moving your legs, all the, the neurons responsible for controlling your legs, the proprioception that's involved, the, the function of the muscles, the balance that's involved with the, with the lower half of your body, start to prune off. You start to lose that function. And so you find when people, there's a saying in medicine where if an old person breaks their hip, then they die of pneumonia. Hmm. Because once they are bedridden, then you start to see all these terrible health effects really take hold. I've seen it firsthand. I've had clients who were elderly um, who trained with me for for years and years and years, and you could see a very slow decline in their mental capacity. And I'm talking about clients in their 80s and 90s. And then for whatever reason, they may stop training with me. Maybe they they, they don't want to pay for it anymore. Or I had one lady who um, slipped in the shower 
hurt herself. So she couldn't, she had to stay in bed for about a month. And then her daughter uh, said, I can't afford to pay for personal training anymore. I just, I can only pay for, for her medical bills. And uh, I saw this woman, uh, I think it was like four or five months later, and her mental decline had accelerated so rapidly, she didn't even recognize me. And this was a woman I had trained for uh, over three years. Um, so you see that happen all the time. So it's, it's not just the physical effects, it's also the mental effects. Mm-hmm. And the thing about resistance training that's so great is the skill that's involved with the re- resistance training challenges the mind more than the repetitive skill that's involved with, let's just say, walking. Like walking, very good for you. Uh, you know, I'm not knocking it. But it's also a very repetitive uh, movement. You don't need to, your brain isn't challenged as much as when you're going to the gym and doing a squats and lunges and balance, toe touches and all these other exercises. So in, it also maintains a healthy brain and a healthy mind. So the effects are absolutely far reaching uh, when it comes to resistance training. Yeah, like resistance training uh, provides like a completely different stimulus to your body than just walking, so to say, or like cardio. Uh, there's a difference between aerobic and anaerobic training. And with resistance training, you're actually causing like a different type of adapt. You're enforcing an adaptation of the body that, okay, we need to get stronger in the future. Uh, versus with cardio, you may not necessarily be causing that same response. Right, right. Uh, you're you're, you're going to get endurance. You're going to get some stamina, some endurance. You'll maintain some strength, enough strength. Here's the thing, too, you, you want to uh, understand about the body. It will only ever be as good as it needs to be to meet the demands that are placed upon it. It will never be better than that, okay? It'll always try to meet the minimum because, you know, our bodies evolved during scarcity for the most part. For most of human civilization, energy was hard to come by, right? Calories were, were difficult to come by. And in order to get them, it required a lot of work and, and danger. Like, you know, if you, if you wanted a calorie-dense, nutrient-dense meal, you had to go kill it. Um, and so the body, you know, it, our human body evolved to be very efficient with calories. And so if it doesn't need to burn more calories, then it won't. And so if I'm not moving, then it's going to remove active tissue so that I can operate on less uh, energy, on less uh, calories, and because it's becoming more efficient. Look, anybody who's, who's, who's listening to this or watching this right now, if you've ever had a broken arm or leg or a, an ankle that was twisted, and you've ever had to wear a brace or a cast for a few weeks, you know how small and atrophied your muscles are when you take that off. I mean, you know, you, you take somebody who had a, has a, a knee injury with a cast that they have to wear for four weeks, they take the cast off and it's like their leg is like, like their muscles gone in four weeks, gone. Your body adapts that quickly in a downward uh, spiral. And it happens only, it only happens faster um, as we get older. So that's why it's so important to maintain those things. And so weight training, because of the demands that resistance places on your body, you're telling your body to be strong enough to be able to handle this heavier load of resistance, which means when you're done with the weights, handling everyday life is that much easier because you can handle the heavier weights. Yeah. So now when I'm doing my everyday stuff, I'm much stronger versus just doing my everyday stuff every day and being active, then I'll only ever really ever be able to meet those types of demands. So you want to be stronger than that. And the way to be stronger than that is by artificially creating an environment where your body needs to meet higher demands. And the way you do that is you go take a bar and you put some weight on it and you put it on your back and you do some exercises. Yeah, it, it is quite, you know, paradoxical 
so to say that, uh, like you said, most of human history has been governed by scarcity and energy deprivation. And uh, in, let's say, the hunter-gatherer, they may not necessarily want to build muscle or to lift weights, and they want to spare energy as much as possible. And instead, they want to, you know, get as fat as possible with uh, with food. So it's quite a, quite quite paradoxical, so to say, that in nature building muscle and doing resistance training would be the complete opposite of what you want to do. But in a modern society, it's again flipped up, upside down. <laughs> yeah, you know, they did this, uh, they've done these really fascinating studies on modern hunter-gatherers, uh, the Hadza tribe, H-A-D-Z-A. And through some sophisticated um, testing, they were able to test their metabolic rate and their daily calorie burn. Now, the researchers hypothesized that these hunter-gatherers would just be burning an incredible amount of calories, right? Because they're just moving all the time. They're, they're constantly walking. They're, well, at least more than the average, you know, person in Western societies who sits on a couch most of the time. But what they were shocked to find was that the calorie burn wasn't substantially higher. It was a little bit higher, but it wasn't like this massive amount. And so the, the researchers, you know, af- after they got this, they, they concluded, well, this kind of makes sense. You know, uh, it's hard to come by food when you're a hunter-gatherer. You know, so if, if I'm burning 6,000 calories or 5,000 calories a day, which is what they thought would happen, try and get 5,000 calories with the food day in and day out. You know, it'd be very difficult and you'd end up probably dying. So the body starts to adapt in a way to become more efficient. Well, the human body has kind of stayed that way because, you know, if you look at like the span of time that we've been on Earth, most of human history has been as hunter-gatherer. Very, very small period has been modern life, right? Very, very small period has been where I have food at the local, you know, store down the street and I, can, and, I, and, and I live a life of leisure now or I need to work and it's on my computer. Very, very small percent. So our environment is here now, but our bodies are still here. So the problems that we're encountering now for our health are a result of our changing environment and the fact that our bodies are just not suited for this environment. So what you want to, what you have to do instead of going back to living like a hunter gatherer, like instead of saying, Oh, you know what? My body's not adapted to this modern life. I'm going to go live in the jungle like a hunter gatherer, which I think most people wouldn't want to do. I wouldn't want to do it. Um, is to find way, modern ways of setting your body up, uh, to be able to deal with the, the, the modern life. And the best way to do that is to put muscle on your body. It just really is. It's, it's the most convenient, you know, in order to build muscle for the average person, you're looking at two to three days a week of lifting weights. Really, you don't need to do a ton of it unless you're trying to really build lots of muscle. You don't need to do a lot of it. Just two to three days a week of effective exercise. So you're looking at maybe two or three hours of, of committed, uh, you know, lifting weights. And that is going to provide a tremendous amount of insurance against all the, the, the ails of, of modern life. And so that's why I, I push it so hard um, today. It's just, it's just that important. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is indeed. And uh, let's say if in nature you would want to have like a slightly slower metabolism that is efficient, then like you said, in modern world, you want the opposite <laughs> of you want to have like a slightly higher, higher metabolic rate just because you have access to more food more frequently. Yeah. Absolutely. You don't want to be um, so efficient that your body only needs a thousand calories. I mean, here's the deal. If you had a very efficient metabolism where you're burning, you know, you could subsist on a thousand calories a day. There's nothing wrong with that. If you're getting all the nutrients that you need and you're, you're healthy, um, there's some longevity in even, in even doing that, right? Mm. So there's nothing wrong with that at all. In fact, there's, there's studies that show that being able to eat less and survive probably will ex- extend your life. 
But the problem with that isn't that there's an issue with that itself. The problem with that is that just doesn't work for most people. It just doesn't. You, you take the average person, you say, hey, look, you know, there's these studies that show if you eat 1,200 calories a day for the rest of your life, you're going to live longer. Most people are going to be like, yeah, it's not going to happen. I can't do that. I, I, I eat 1,200 calories at lunch this, you know, today. It's not going to it's not going to work for me. So we just have to look at the, 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 the whole picture and the whole picture is, okay, uh, I want, I live in a, in a time now where food is very plentiful and it's very palatable. I can get, you know, here in California, I can eat Mexican food, Chinese food. I can eat African food. I can eat German food if I want all within five to 10 minutes. You know what I mean? I I can have uh, processed food. I can have vegetables from all over the world. So I live in that kind of a society. I also don't move that much, uh, to be quite honest. Even me who works out every day for at least an hour, the rest of the day is, you know, doing this. I'm sitting down. So, okay, you know, how can I, how can I protect myself against that? Um, and, and I also want to have a good quality of life. You know, like mm-hmm. there's a lot of, there's a, there's a certain quality of life that comes from sometimes being able to sit down with your friends and family and enjoying a large meal. Uh, there's definitely pleasure that comes from it. I mean, entire cultures have been, you know, uh, put around food. You know, um, I, my 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 parents are from Italy, and Italians celebrate with food all the time. So I don't want to miss out on that. Um, I want to be able to enjoy that. Well, how do I protect myself? Well, I build some muscle and speed up my metabolism. Now it doesn't harm me like it would if I were if I had a little bit of muscle and I was burning lower calories. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It is true that. Although a lower metabolic rate may be inducive of some longevity, there's still going to be like a point of diminishing return, so to say, that if you become insulin resistant just because of having such a low metabolic rate, then it's not going to be worth it, so to say, and that's going to have like a negative effect. So, so the key is to still find this, uh, let's say, not to excessively consume too many calories, but at the same time, not to have like a too low metabolic rate either that's predisposes you to all the other diabetes and other ailments and to also not to make it sustainable of living in this toxic food environment and being able to resist resist the uh the negative side effects of maybe having some more food every once in a while that's right and you know and 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 just to just to bring it home i'll sell it like this because you know there's a, a a large segment of people who work out i'd say probably the largest segment the majority really want to look good too. Okay. So I'm not saying, I mean, I like to talk about health longevity. I like to talk about all these positive, uh, real, real fundamental benefits, but I also uh, understand the reality that people like to look good, right? Mm-hmm. There's a certain quality of life that comes from looking good. Uh, maybe you want to attract the opposite sex. Maybe it helps you feel better about yourself looking good. Uh, the reason why it looks good to begin with is because it, it tends to re- reflect uh, or represent good health anyway. Um, and I mean, you put, you, you build some muscle, whether you're a man or a woman, you're going to look better. Uh, you have, for a woman, you'll have more curve, you'll have more shape, you'll have better posture. For a man, it's quite obvious. I think most guys know they'll look better with a little bit more muscle on their body. Um, and lifting weights uh, does that. You know, but the other thing I want to touch on with, with weight training is the approach, I think, that a lot of people think you need to have with weight training is uh, the wrong approach. I think we've been told for a long time that you, when you lift weights, you want to damage the body, damage the muscle. That way the body heals and then becomes stronger. And there's definitely some truth to that. But I think what that's led to is this uh, culture of beating yourself up uh, in the gym or doing too much. Mm-hmm. Um, your, your, body, your body does recover from exercise, but it also adapts. And those are really two separate things. 
recovery is the the is healing so that's the, the the process of your body healing adaptation is the process of your body uh changing itself so that it doesn't suffer the same damage from the same insult later on so exactly so uh a good example that's that's that has nothing to do with uh, resistance training is like you cut your arm or let's say you let's say you're handling rough objects with your hand let's say you're you're constantly handling rough objects you're going to damage your skin a little bit and so your body heals itself but then your body tries to add another layer of skin so that the next time you handle rough objects it doesn't cause as much damage and over time you develop a callus well that's similar to what happens with, with weights, right? You, you, you lift weights, you cause a little bit of damage, your body heals, but then your body says, okay, we need to be able to handle this next time because it's going to happen again so that we don't cause as much damage. Now, the problem with going too hard or beating yourself up, and this is very individual. So if, you're, if you never work out and you're getting into it, it doesn't take much to cause damage. If you work out all the time, you're going to have to you know, apply much more intensity. But when you... W- you don't want to overcome your body's ability to recover because then it won't adapt. So what ends up happening is you end up going to the gym and you end up beating the crap out of yourself. So creates so much damage that all your body wants to do, the priority is to recover. I just got to recover. I need to heal. I can't even think about adapting. I just need to heal. And so then you get stuck in the cycle of uh, going to the gym, getting super sore, not getting sore. So then you go back to the gym, beat yourself up, get really sore, not getting, and you're not progressing. You're like, wow, what's going on? I'm I'm working out super hard. I'm lifting weights really, really hard. Like, like I'm supposed to, and I'm not getting any stronger. I'm not seeing any changes. Well, you're just, you've overcome your body's ability uh, to recover. You've overcome your body's ability to adapt. It's not adapting anymore. So what I like to tell people is uh, rather than going to the gym and and seek out this feeling of, of, of soreness and of damage, Go to the gym and practice getting good at exercise. Practice it like anything else. Like I'm going to go to the gym today and I'm going to learn how to squat really well. And I'm going to continue to learn and practice how to squat until I get really, really good at squatting. But through that process, you'll find that your body will adapt. You'll find that you'll get better at it and you'll get stronger. And as a result of that, you'll end up building more muscle. So the the mentality that we go into our workouts with has to change. It has to change from the I need to beat myself up and feel pain to I'm going to go in here and practice this sport of exercise and just get really, really good at it. That has a much better long-term uh, result. Much, much better. When I, get, when I have clients and I, I would teach them that and they really understand it and buy into that and they're going to the gym and, and they're practicing movements and getting better at them and slowly getting better at them over time. These are people who continue to work out for, for 10 or 15 years and end up developing amazing physiques. And they make lifelong changes. The ones that always go to the gym to beat themselves up and kill themselves, they might see results for three to six months, but they end up uh, not maintaining. Their body ends up shutting down or they end up losing the, 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 the motivation of exercise because it sucks to constantly keep beat the crap out of yourself. Um, and they're the ones that just never really you know, make it a long-term. Uh, they never see long-term success. Yeah, because they're never going to see like results either. <laughs> so to say that if your body is only recovering, then it's never going to adapt and you know progress to the next level. And uh, like I, I would, I would say that you know part of that has to do with again like the previous history of bodybuilding and such, where you know the the only time people saw people lifting weights was with bodybuilders who were you know going all out and uh, reaching complete failure and hitting the the muscle group from all different angles and re- completely destroying their muscles. So that's again, like a complete misconception of how actually natural people 
shoot exercise and how can they actually get stronger? Right, right. I mean, they, at their level of training, to get their body to adapt any further, they have to really apply intensity and, and, and training volume and angles, like you said, because uh, their body's already adapted along the way. You know, it's like if you took, imagine taking a world-class Olympic skier. In order to get that person to improve upon their abilities, they have to really challenge themselves. Now, you get somebody who's never skied before, it would make no sense to follow the routine of the world champion skier. In fact, they'd kill themselves if they went down the same hill or whatever. A beginner would have to go in and learn how to buckle in their skis first, and then they'd have to learn how to stand, and then they'd have to learn how to go really slow without falling, and then little by little, they would progress themselves. Well, you have to treat exercise that way, or especially resistance training. Treat it that way. Like, look at where you're starting from. Start there and slowly progress yourself. It's really the only way to progress uh, with any real way. And you're absolutely right. Um, there's nothing more frustrating than uh, spinning your tires in the dirt. You know, there's, no, there's nothing more frustrating than going to the gym and, and putting a lot of physical effort and, and being sore for three days. So you can barely move because you beat yourself up and being so tenacious that you just keep doing it. And then you look in the mirror and you're like, wow, uh, I've done all this work. I've had all this pain and I, my body isn't changing. Like, or, or at first it changed for the first few months and now I'm stuck and I still look like I don't work out. Like what's going on? No wonder people want to stop, of course. For sure. So how do you break the cycle, so to say? You mentioned <laughs> you know, practicing the skills, but is there anything like specific they need to change with their programming? Yeah, um, it's, it depends on the person. So, you know, there's a couple things you want to consider. First, the way that we, as the way that people tend to develop lifelong behavioral changes, because really, if you if you're if you're looking at fitness, um, and you want to lead a fit life and you want to be fit and healthy, there's behavioral changes that have to change permanently, forever, right? Because if you work out now and you eat right now and you become fit and healthy now and then you stop later, then your health just it declines. It doesn't stay with you. It's not like you can work out, get in shape, and then stop, and then you're all of a sudden just in shape for the rest of your life. Whatever, you're, whatever, whatever you do to get where you are, what you have to do to stay where you want to stay. So in order to make real, lifelong behavioral changes, they have to be meaningful and challenging but realistic. Okay? So... You have to look at yourself and say, okay, I want to start uh, on a fit uh, life. I want to start to increase my fitness. Right now, I'm doing nothing. I do no exercise. I, I eat terribly. Um, so let's think of a, a challenging thing that I can do, but one that's also realistic. So you want to think for yourself. It's like, okay, so uh, I want to go to the gym five days a week. That's going to be challenging. But can I do five? Do I think I'm going to be able to stick to five days a week consistently right now? No. If I, I'm going to be quite honest with myself, that's probably not going to happen. So let me bring it back. Let me scale it back. And maybe it's, maybe it's once a week. Okay, I know it's still going to be challenging once a week because I'm not doing anything right now. Uh, you know, I'm not going to the gym right now at all. So once a week still going to be a bit of a challenge to make it consistently. But I also know I can do it realistically and I can stick to it. So start there. Then once you've stayed in a position for a long enough period to where you're saying like, oh, this is no longer a challenge. Like this is now a part of my routine. I'm going to be able, I can do this uh, forever. No problem. Then you scale up again and you pick one more thing that you can make a change 
and that you can do on a realistic lifelong uh, endeavor. And you do that little by little. It's really the only way to make any real fundamental lifelong behavioral changes. The other way to make lifelong behavioral changes is an extremely rare process of epiphany or breakthrough, which is extremely rare. So an example of that would be, um, you know, let's say, uh, you know, I, I'm obese and I'm not exercising and then I go to the doctor and the doctor says, uh, you're going to die tomorrow. Uh, we need to do this emergency surgery. And then I just, I, I see my family and you know, it's just this crazy moment. And at that moment, I have this crazy epiphany, like that's it, I'm changing my life forever. So that's the other way that, that we see humans make these lifelong behavioral changes. But that's extremely rare. The more common one, and the more realistic one is what I talked about earlier, which is these very small, realistic, but challenging uh, changes that you do that stick. And so that's really the only way to do it. So if somebody is stuck in this cycle of, you know, not getting, take it back, take everything back, Start real slow, focus on things that are, um, focus on changes that are realistic. And so what I mean by that is, okay, so I'm going to start going to the gym once a week because that's realistic yet challenging, but I know I can do it forever. I'm not going to worry about weight loss right now. All I'm going to worry about is just making it to the gym. That's a success. Or uh, I'm going to worry about my energy levels. You know, maybe my energy levels get a little better. I used to have conversations like this all the time with clients where they'd come to me and say, you know, I've been working out for six months and I'm doing it slow, like you said, and I made small changes to my diet and I've only lost, you know, four pounds on the scale. So I don't know if I'm, if I'm being successful. So then what I would do is I'd, I'd get a piece of paper and I'd make a checklist and I'd say, okay, um, how has your sleep been since you started doing this? Like, oh, well, that's, that's actually a little bit better. Okay, great. Um, how is your mobility? Oh, that's a little bit better. How's your energy? Um, how's your mood? feel? How does your outlook on things feel? Are you stronger? And so little by little, they would start to see like all these little victories and be like, okay, you know, I, I can see now that, I, that, that, that things are starting to change. So you want to look at all those things and not just measure it in these big weight loss moments or whatever and take your time and then watch what happens. Give yourself, it takes time. That's all it takes. Time. Look, you're going to be doing this forever, right? If you, if you want to do this and you want to get in shape and you want to stay fit and healthy and look amazing, you probably want to keep it for the rest of your life. So you've got the rest of your life to do it. So give yourself some time, take your time, go slow, practice the exercise. And then before you know it, you're going to be exactly where you want to be. And what I mean by that is not just the way you look and how fit you are, but you'll be in a place where exercising and eating right are a part of your life. It's not something you have to have discipline to do. It's just, it's like saying, like, if you talk to people like, you know, wow, you brush your teeth every day. You must be so disciplined. They'll be like, well, no, I just wake up and brush my teeth. Yeah. Like imagine if that's how you were with exercise, you know, where it doesn't require this crazy battle, yeah. internal yeah. battle where you have to fight with yourself. It's just, no, this is just, this is just how I live. This is just what I do. You can get there. It just takes a little bit of time. Mm. Yeah, it's so true. That's what I say. You start off with small steps, but, uh, or let's say, everything is everything is more difficult when it's you know stagnant or if you're not doing any exercise at all then it's going to be more difficult for you to start motion uh, versus if you if you're already doing some sort of exercise then it's easier for you to stick to it as well as you know take it up take it up a notch and take it to the next level and progress absolutely further. i like to tell people to if they're if they're just getting started i like to pe tell people to pick three or four exercises uh, go to the gym and pick three or four exercises. Now, if you have decent mobility um, and, you know, you don't have any major is issues with, uh, 
with your joints. I would say a barbell squat, uh, some type of a barbell press, like a, like a bench press, an overhead press, and some type of a row. Um, and you, want, you can throw in even a deadlift if you want in there, but sometimes I keep that for later on. Just pick those four exercises and just get good at them. That's all. Just go to the gym a few days a week, practice them, get really good at them, um, and then see what happens. Um, and the funny thing is that advice it works really well for advanced people too. You know, people who, who have been working out for a couple of years and want to see their body changing, go practice those movements and get really good at them. Like you get really good and strong at those movements and watch how your body changes. Yeah. You, you've been uh, working out for quite a long time. So uh, how has your training maybe changed over the course of this time and maybe like your training philosophies or exercises? Um, well, they've changed in the sense that I've learned more and more as I've, uh, you know, as I've continued down this process. Like early, early on, I would follow the bodybuilding magazine advice um, and I would do these body part split routines where I'd work out my biceps on one day and my chest on another day and my back on another day. Um, and then later on, I was reading, uh, God, what was the book? Dinosaur Training uh, was the name of the book. Can't remember the author. And it's an old muscle building book, but the guy talks about like building real strength. And for whatever reason, it, it resonated with me. Um, and so that led me down a path of reading the old time bodybuilder uh, workouts and routines. So like Steve Reeves and, you know, John Grimmick and, Reg Park and these guys. And these guys all built their bodies before anabolic steroids. And one thing that I found about their routines was they were quite different from the body part split routines. These guys were working their whole body three or four days a week. Um, so they're, they're hitting the body parts more frequently, but they weren't doing as much volume per workout. So rather than doing, let's say, 15 sets for chest on Monday, they do like five sets for chest on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And so I thought, gosh, you know what? I wonder how this is going to work on me. Let me give this a shot. And I started doing it and it worked phenomenally. Um, and now, of course, we have studies that show that if you take your total volume and divide it up by more frequent workouts, most, mostly, most people will respond a little better for, for a number of different reasons. It, the muscle building adaptation signal tends to really only stay elevated for about 48 to 72 hours. So it makes sense to hit that same area again, you know, two or three days later or even a day later if you're advanced. Um, you also tend to pick the most effective exercises uh, when you're only going to do five sets of a workout where well, you're probably going to do the best exercises versus when you're doing 15 sets in one workout, you know, you get fatigued about, you know, set seven or eight. So everything else becomes these, you know, kind of weaker, less effective type exercises. Um, so I, that's, that's how I, I, start, I changed my workout probably, I'd say in my late 20s. Um, and it's, it's been like that ever since. I think more recently, I've placed much more of a focus on mobility, and it's mainly because I've learned more about mobility. Uh, one of the, the awesome things about having this fitness podcast is I get to interview some of the most brilliant minds in fitness. And so we've had these experts come on the show and talk about what real mobility means. And really what mobility is, uh, just, to, just to give you a short breakdown, it's owning a particular range of motion. So if I have a, a really, really deep squat, but I don't have complete control of every single inch of that squat, then I don't have good mobility, mobility in that squat. And so I've now learned on how to improve my, my, my real connected mobility. And I have found that uh, not only do I feel a lot better, but it's also made me stronger um, and it's uh, improved my ability to uh, put on muscle. Um, so that's the other thing. Then, then of course, as I've gotten older and, and had more responsibilities, 
I don't have the same luxury of working out uh, as often or as long. So I've had to be a little more smart uh, with my workouts. I, I'm starting to feel the effects of age maybe a little bit. I don't know. I'm, I'm about to turn 40. I don't know if that's really happening yet. Um, I'm, I'm still right about as strong as I've ever been, I think. Um, but at some point, that's going to start to kick in. But I do know that it's a very slow decline when you're, when you're exercising, so I'm not too worried about it. Um, but yeah, I'd say the mobility has been a, a, a big one recently. I've also started to incorporate uh, the use of a sauna uh, post-workout mainly for the longevity effects. Uh, but I've also, I think I've noticed um, a, a, a muscle adaptation benefit as well. I seem to respond better to my workouts, but that's such a small piece. You know, like if, if you're listening right now and your, your workouts aren't dialed in, then adding a sauna is not going to make that big of a difference. I think it's more of a, a thing that you'll add later on as you're, as you're more dialed in and, and you know, w- with your routine. Um, and that, you know, that's kind of pretty much it. I think uh, frequency is really important for certain things. You know, I think practicing, for example, if you want to improve your skill on a movement, you're better off doing it a lot and doing it not as hard versus doing it really hard and not as frequently. So like if I want to get really good at uh, doing the splits, for example, I'm going to get better results if I practice at a, a moderate, low to moderate intensity several times a day than if I did hardcore split training, you know, where I'm doing the splits really hard once or twice a week. And that's true for most things. So if you want to get better at, at particular movements or exercises, you can even do 10-minute, you know, little movement workouts or whatever throughout the day, and you'll find that you'll, you'll accelerate your, your progress very quickly. And so I implement that a lot uh, nowadays as well. Mm, yeah, it's so true that uh, all, all kind of has to go back to your condition, so to say, of, in, in what kind of a situation you find yourself in and what level you start off at as well. Uh, but uh, let's maybe we, we've been talking a, little, a lot about exercise. So uh, as a final conclusion, or let's let's say like a last topic, we could, we can talk a little, a little bit about uh, diet and nutrition as well. Like what do you eat, and uh, what do you say would be some of the biggest kind of misconceptions about uh, diet you've come across? Oh, geez, uh, you know the uh, especially the muscle building world, but the fitness industry and the health industry now at large promotes this super high protein intake. Um, you know, information like you need to eat an insane amount of protein, especially if you want to build muscle, right? Which is actually the funny thing is it's quite false. If you look at all the scientific literature on muscle building and athletic performance and protein, the upper limit, which you're going to derive benefit from. So what I mean by that is the, you're not going to get any more benefit from eating more than this. The studies are pretty, pretty conclusive is about 0.7, 0.8 grams per pound of body weight for, for relatively lean individuals. So, you know, if you're a hundred, if you're a hundred pound female, that's about 70 to 80 grams of protein a day. If you eat any more than that, it's not really necessarily bad for you, uh, but you're, you're missing out on the benefits of carbohydrates and proteins. Um, you may have digestive issues and you're just not going to get any more benefit from it. So that's a really big one. So high protein diet, very important, but not the ridiculous, insane amounts where they're telling you to take a protein shake yeah. you know, every two or three hours. Because, uh, the, because the RDA for protein is, is still very low and it should yeah. be higher. Yeah, yeah. The, the RDA will say half of that or less than half of that, um, which is fine. You'll be fine with that too. You know, protein is essential, so you need a certain amount. Um, and so if you eat the RDA requirements of protein, you're going to be okay. You'll be fine, perfectly healthy. But you won't maximize, I guess, muscle building uh, effects of protein. Protein is also pretty satiating for most people. So eating a higher protein diet tends to 
reduce uh, a person's appetite. So if you're, especially if you're trying to maintain a, a, a lean body, um, and protein is also thermogenic, meaning that it, it tends to burn more calories than the other macronutrients. So a relatively high protein diet is, is pretty important. Uh, fat, uh, which was demonized for a long time, um, it, you know, fat is not bad for you. There's certain fats that are bad for you. You know, you don't want to eat the highly processed vegetable oils. But other than that, you know, you can eat an adequate amount of fat. It's essential. You need it for your hormones, for, for cellular integrity. Um, and uh, so I typically recommend people eat a, a decent amount of, of fat in their diet. And then carbohydrates, you know, I like to tell people to match their carbohydrates to their activity level. Now, now some people do really well with a really low carbohydrate diet. I've done, I, I'm one of those people that sometimes does well with that, uh, mainly because uh, if I'm starting to have digestive issues, reducing my carbohydrates makes me feel better. Um, but for athletes, you want to eat a, a, an adequate amount of carbohydrates. They're going to give you more strength and more power. I do like to tell people to stick to the carbohydrate sources that are, seem to be the easier ones to digest. So these tend to be the gluten-free uh, carbohydrate sources. Buckwheat is a really, really good one. Um, I know buckwheat, I think, is eaten quite a bit in your, your side of the world. Um, uh, rice, white rice, excellent source of uh, easily digestible carbohydrates. Uh, potato, sweet potato, great sources of carbohydrates. Um, I would stay away from the heavily, highly processed forms of carbohydrates or really any other types of foods. You know, two reasons why you want to stay away from, and this is one of the, the truisms that is going to be true for most people. Because with nutrition, you're going to find a lot of individual variants. There's some people that seem to thrive on a, on a vegan type diet or vegetable-based diet. There's people that seem to thrive on a more paleo type of diet um, because there's so many factors that go into how your body reacts to food. But one of the truisms that seems to be true for most people is uh, to avoid heavily processed foods, which represent you know, foods that you find in, in boxes or packages, foods that have a long shelf life. And the reason why you want to stay away from these, uh, there's, there's two main reasons. One is they're, they're not typically healthy for you in, in comparison. They're not too nutrient dense. They tend to be lower in, in, in you know, micronutrients that, or at least micronutrients you can assimilate very well. Um, most of the money that goes into those foods doesn't go into making them healthy. Most of the money that goes into those foods goes into making them palatable. Uh, palatable meaning desirable to eat. So it's, just, it's not just flavor. It's the smell. It's the texture. It's the sound it makes when it crunches. It's the color. All these things contribute to palatability. Even the color. You know, like uh, years ago, Heinz ketchup came out with this black ketchup. They thought it'd be real wow. cool, but nobody bought it because nobody wants to eat black ketchup. Um, because of the color it tastes exactly the same, you know, Coca-Cola years ago did the same thing. They did clear Coke, uh, but nobody liked it because they wanted the, the, the caramel colored Coke cause it's more palatable for at least for their, their perceptions of what Coca-Cola tastes like. So, you know, palatability is where most of the money goes into processed food, uh, engineering in, in, in terms of, you know, research and development. And because they're engineered, you know, scientists can combine foods, flavors, textures, smells, you know, uh, sounds, colors that would never normally appear in nature. And so what, they, what they're able to do is really hijack your brain. Like they really hijack your, your senses of, of palatability. And so what ends up happening is your palate fatigue, palate fatigue is when you eat something and then you get sick of it. Like, I don't want any more. I don't want to have any more of that. Well, these foods are designed to overcome that. So you just eat more and more and more. This is why you can eat a, a, a huge 
3,000 calorie bag of potato chips, but you would find it very difficult to eat plain baked potato uh, in the same quantity. It'd be very difficult. You'd hit palate fatigue, but the potato chip with the salt and the fat and the crispiness and the color and all that stuff and the smell has been engineered to be super palatable. And so when you avoid these hyper palatable foods, you tend to eat more appropriately. You tend to eat less. You tend to be able to make more better food choices. It's very difficult to eat a healthy diet uh, or at least eat a, the appropriate amount when you have a lot of processed foods. They just make you want to eat more. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, and a good example is like, you know, when you're having dinner at somebody's house and you're finished with dinner and you're like, oh, I'm stuffed. And then, you know, they bring out dessert. And all of a sudden, yeah. even though your stomach hurts and you're full, you find room for that dessert. Well, you've overcome that, that, that you know, that palate fatigue. So yeah. that's the biggest rule of thumb I would give people is, is avoid heavily processed foods. They're just going to make it harder for you to, to eat healthy. Yeah, there's always room for dessert. <laughs> exactly. Say. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, Sal, it's been great talking with you on the podcast, and uh, looking definitely looking forward to your new podcast epi episodes on the Mind Pump podcast as well, so uh, that people can also check it, check that out. But uh, where can people learn more about you and your work? Uh, so the, the Mind Pump podcast, you just find it Mind Pump two words. We have a YouTube channel with lots of exercise demos. So if you want to learn technique uh, around your exercises. Uh, that channel's Mind Pump Media. Um, and then we have uh, free guides that we write and give to people. These are guides that help people, you know, build their legs, their chest, their arms, whatever. Um, you can find that at mindpumpfree.com. And then if you want to contact me, um, I, I'm most active on Instagram. Um, you can find my personal Instagram page is mindpumpsal. Mm, awesome. Uh, before I let you go, I want to ask my last question, which is, uh, what's this one piece of advice or a habit you wish you adopted sooner that improved your body and your mind? Ooh, uh, consistency is everything. Uh, you know, start small and just be as consistent as you possibly can be. Um, and that'll give you better results than trying to do everything all at once. Mm, yeah, it's so true. So to say, <laughs> it doesn't matter yeah. if you, if you, it, it doesn't matter if you kill yourself at the gym once a day, Uh, or once a week it's it has to be like a consistent yeah. thing exactly yeah well uh, thanks for coming to podcast and uh, i'll see you around appreciate it thank you very much all right that's it for this episode of the body mind Apartment podcast if you want to support us then i would greatly appreciate it if you could leave us a review on itunes and the other social media platforms you can now order my new book metabolic autophagy that covers a lot of the same topics that we talked in here It's a collection of certain lifestyle habits and practices that prioritize longevity as well as performance. To support this podcast, you can also become a Patreon and get exclusive video lectures from my biohacking bootcamp that covers circadian rhythms, intermittent fasting, autophagy, resistance training, biofeedback, and many more. But other than that, my name is Seem. Stay tuned for the next episode. Stay empowered.